I grew up going to a, an old Baptist church in a little town called North Stonington, Connecticut. And uh, while I was there, you know, in the 80s, they celebrated 250 years. So you're talking, you know, early 1700s that this church was started. And they followed the secret sauce of all Baptist churches. Potlucks, but also Sunday school on Sunday morning, church on, after that, Sunday evening service, and Wednesday prayer meeting. That was the Baptist secret sauce. And occasionally, you know, kind of like once a month kind of a deal, on a Sunday evening, they would have a hymn sing where people from the congregation would just call out, you know, their favorite hymns. And, you know, they, you know, uh, it was actually Mrs. Morgan on the organ, <laughs> had them all down, and she could, just, she could just rock it out, and we'd sing whatever hymns people wanted to sing. It was kind of a praise night, you know, from the hymnal. Once in a while, someone would pick a rather unusual hymn. Two instances of this happened. The first was uh, when someone called out hymn number 37 in the blue hymnal. Anybody know what that hymn was if you grew up in church? It's the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's three pages long. I mean, really six, but you have to flip through three times from Handel's Messiah, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Most people are not trained enough to sing that song. And it is rather long. I'll never forget that moment. The second moment was uh, at my friend's church, which was kind of down the street as a Bible church, but same kind of roots, Baptist roots. And um, they actually also added a service on Saturday night, so they were extra, extra holy in that way. Um, in the back of the hymnal, there was a hymn, number 628. And all it was, was um, just a bunch of different ways to sing the Amen. At the end of a hymn. And so some kid throws it out there. And I guess it was just formal enough that the leader couldn't say, that's funny, we're not singing that. They're like, okay, 628, here we go. Amen. And then another one, amen. I mean, it's like most awkward, you know, two minutes of singing ever. I just, I just don't understand how that, how that passed. Should have been a big laugh. I don't know who said this. I thought it was Martin Luther, but I was looking it up and couldn't find it. But basically the idea is that you can tell a church's theology through what they sing. So actually, if you want to verify who who said that, if somebody did ever say that, and if not, then I'll just take the credit. Um, But you can tell a lot about what a church believes by the, the lyrics that are in their songs, right? What is central to what they believe? What is central to what they want to celebrate and exalt? as they sing in music. Obviously, probably the greatest hymn of all time or the most well-known hymn of all time. Thank you, Kathy Newby, right? Okay, topping the charts, most likely. Talking about, you know, the grace of God. You know, I once was lost, right? A wretch, God saved a wretch like me. So you see through what we sing oftentimes, kind of a central message of what it is that we really are celebrating and believing in. And everything, everything's got a central message, right? Businesses have, have tapped into this, right? The whole vision statement, what's our preferred future that we're, that we're presenting? And what's our mission statement? How are we going to accomplish that, right? Our core values, all of these ideas. You can get to know a company by that one little tagline that they throw out there. It's either about their vision or their mission. The question I want to pose today is, 
what is that central piece for the church? What is that central tagline? Is there something like that, maybe even not just for this church, but for all churches for the last 2,000 years, that is the central rallying cry, the central idea, the central vision, mission, core value statement throughout all history. So we're in our series uh, today, continuing, we're in week five, this is called Love God, Share Life, Proclaim Jesus, our little tagline at the harbor, right? We talked about loving God, how we appreciate God, like in worship or just thanking him for things, and how we give him our attention, right? Listening to him, trying to be with him throughout our day, right? Spending time with Jesus, reading the Bible, praying, okay? We talked about sharing life, both with people in the church, where there's a strong pattern of that we see through the book of Acts, as well as admonitions in Paul's letters and patterns in the Gospels. But we also share life with people outside of these walls, right? That God is calling us to extend, right, our resources and our time and our attention to people in and outside of the church as a calling as the people of God. Today we, we pick up our third value. We're going to split this into two weeks. Today we're going to be talking about the, kind of this core statement, and next week we're going to be talking about uh, just God's idea of proclaiming Jesus through justice and righteousness being done on the earth. The next week we'll hit upon, upon that. That's a second way that we proclaim Jesus by doing justice, loving mercy, all those things, and bringing restoration, bringing people out of poverty, all those ideas. So here's what we're going to find today in the answer to that question. The core belief, the core statement of the church, the core, the core vision, the core mission statement, all of it is wrapped into three simple words. And that is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And really, that is the centerpiece of what we refer to as the gospel, which is just a fancy word for what the Bible says is the good news about Jesus Christ. So we're going to turn to a couple passages today to see this, but the first one is this. If you've got a Bible, if you want to read along, it's just two simple verses in Romans chapter 10. You can just listen to it, or you can also see it on the screen. But Romans 10. Verses 9 and 10 say this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Read verse 9 one more time. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A simple question that's helpful for us to think about, often actually, is what is the gospel? Evangelicals in particular talk about the gospel a lot, you know, or the good news about Jesus. What exactly is that? 
And this is what I want to argue for you today. The gospel is not primarily about us. Although, of course, in some ways it is. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is, if you had to boil it down to three words, it is Jesus is Lord. Jesus, the first word of that. A man, a person that walked this earth, a historical figure. A man that was born from a woman. That person, that name. Jesus is. Interesting that it does not say was, does it? It says is, a present tense verb, meaning that Jesus still exists. There is still a Jesus, and he is alive, right? He was raised from the dead. He lived 2,000 years ago, and yet he is. And yet he is. He did die, but he was raised from the dead. And is alive. And he is Lord. Now for many of us, we associate that word with the idea that Jesus is God. And I believe, uh, this is my sense, that as Paul is writing this in Romans, or as others use that same expression, they do mean that. But it also means something else. Because they actually stole that phrase. Uh, They didn't write it. They didn't come up with it themselves. They plagiarized it. Because the statement going around in that day was this. Caesar is Lord. Meaning, of course, that Caesar also claimed to be God. You know, there was this, this kind of Roman myth or whatever that, you know, whoever was the Caesar was, you know, this, this godlike figure. But really that Caesar ruled, that Caesar had power, that no one had better defy Caesar or they would be what? Crucified, right? Look at that person. If you defy Caesar, this is what will happen to you. Caesar is Lord. And that was a confession, right? That's a confession, confessional statement of that culture. And along comes Jesus. And the gospel writers, right, the people writing these letters are saying, no, no, no. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Yes, Jesus is God. No, it's Jesus who rules. It is Jesus whose will will be done on this earth. It is Jesus whose kingdom is here and is everlasting. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Not Caesar's government. Jesus is king. The devil is not king. There is no evil spirit that is king. There is not any other earthly ruler who is king. It is Jesus. It is King Jesus. Jesus, my friends, is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus rules and he reigns on the throne of his father David in heaven and he is overseeing the invasion of this earth that his kingdom would expand and fill this world. Jesus as Lord is an aggressive political statement. You cannot apoliticize it. 
It asserts that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, is advancing against the kingdom of darkness and any kingdom of this world that would oppose it. You can say separate church and state, but Jesus gets political because he is a ruler. He is a king. I was reading a book recently by N.T. Wright. Just in all honesty, I got through two-thirds, okay? Pat me on the back. It's better than usual, okay? <clears throat> it's called How God Became King. And in this book, he talks about how evangelicals, and typically in America, have isolated the gospel to simply the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And actually, most of the time, just the crucifixion. We often kind of miss the power of the resurrection as well, at least in the history. I think the church is gaining ground on that. And more liberal congregations focus on the life of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, you know, the, the, the ways that he didn't, he didn't judge others. He, you know, he didn't throw the stone right at the woman or condemn people. And they often are looking at kind of how Jesus is, is, is uh, this great teacher who's bringing this message of forgiving uh, and loving enemies and, uh, you know, caring for the poor and not judging and reaching out to everyone. And oftentimes, those two worlds have not collided. This, this is what N.T. Wright is, is talking about. What he is arguing is that the gospel is really about how God became king, which bridges the gap between the life of Jesus, which is not just a bunch of things that Jesus did to prove that he was God. Yes, there was some of that there to show that he was Messiah. But it doesn't simplify his life to just being these ideas about, okay, Jesus did all this stuff, okay, he's God, great. So there we, therefore he can die on the cross and redeem us from all of our sins and God vindicates him by raising him from the dead. No, no, no. It actually, all of it is the gospel, right? His whole life, everything he did was proclaiming what? What was Jesus' favorite sermon topic? It was the kingdom. It was the kingdom. Everything that he is doing in his life is advancing against the kingdom of darkness. When someone is healed, it is a victory for the kingdom of light. When someone is, is set free, right, from a demon, it is a victory for the kingdom of light. His kingdom is advancing. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It is advancing against darkness. And the crucifixion and the resurrection are about not just Jesus doing that, but bringing citizens into the kingdom of heaven that would also advance that kingdom on earth. So the first sermons, sorry, getting excited here. The first sermons are about Jesus, right? It's about Jesus. It's about, here was a man. He walked among you. He performed miracles of God. You guys put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. And in Acts 2, it says, Brothers, what shall we do? And the response to the idea that Jesus is Lord is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Right? Forgiveness and repentance and receiving God into us is the response to Jesus is Lord. That is the response of someone who says, yes, he is. Forgive me of my sin. I receive your work on the cross and I now join you in the work of your life in advancing the kingdom of heaven in this earth. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. I'll try a little harder. 
It's a new kingdom. It's a new country. It's a new citizenship. Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel. God has become king. Because he wasn't on this earth. Right? Let's rewind all the way to the beginning. God gave the planet to Adam and Eve. And they said, he said, you rule. You have dominion. This is your world. Now rule it the way that heaven rules. I'm going to walk with you and show you what that looks like. But what did they do? They refused God's plan. They exalted the word of the devil above the word of God. And so who became king? The devil became king. The prince, I mean, he never was really called king, so I should, I should, I should cancel that statement, okay? Strike that. But he became the prince of this world, right? He was given authority by humans. They gave their authority up to the devil. And God is not one to take back what he has given, is he? And so how could God, from heaven, fix this crazy problem with people that he's given freedom to make choices, and now they've given that away to the devil and the authority to have authority on this earth? Well, the only way he could get that back, if he's not going to take the authority back from people, is to become a man himself. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus comes to redeem humanity by becoming a man so that he could bind the strong man by resisting his temptations, right? And then also be this atoning sacrifice for sin where he takes the sin of the world onto himself. There's, two, there's multiple things happening there. You guys still awake? Look at the life of Jesus, the major markers of his life, the incarnation. What a profound thing happened there. The God of the universe, the creator that existed from eternity past, right, who was above everything, right, just infinite in knowledge and wisdom in every way and beauty and love and the, the holiness of the Trinity, joins himself to matter. He joins himself, he weds himself to physical atoms for all eternity by becoming a baby. Yes, Jesus still has a body. We have a man in the Trinity. A human being is part of the Trinity. Can you believe the commitment that God had to his creation to actually join it? It is absolutely mind-blowing and it must have driven the devil crazy. Because he hated this world. Because his role as an angel was to serve people. And he refused to do that. Right? That God would put these puny little weak earthlings and these limited in these physical bodies that he would serve them? There's some speculation here. Right? But I suspect that's something that's going on there. Oh, and God wed himself to that. Jesus' baptism, he is empowered for ministry to combat the forces of darkness. Why was Jesus baptized? Right? Sure, to be an example for us, but also the Holy Spirit descend on him on a dove, and now he starts his ministry where every time he is binding the strong man, he is getting darkness out of this world. His life of ministry, obviously, preaching and teaching, right? That, that, that idea of just communicating God's truth the healing ministry that he had, and also, of course, a ministry of compassion and love. All of those things together, together were working 
to show that here's a real king. This is how a real, a real king reigns and rules. Not as those other rulers of the world, right? But one who is loving, compassionate, who heals his people, who serves them, totally throwing in the face the way that the devil advocated his responsibility, at least as my theory goes. The transfiguration. Jesus is honored by God. He's glorified by him. This life that he's lived, God is saying, you've done it, son. You're doing it, son. Look at the glory of Jesus. His crucifixion. Jesus is killed by those he came to save. He takes the sin of the world. He refuses to call a legion of angels to save him. He refuses to just start blowing people up all over the place, which he probably could have done, right? He refuses to even defend himself verbally and instead allows himself to die a horrible death so that the sin of the world would be dealt with. And God would establish a new covenant of forgiveness. And so that anyone that receives the sacrifice of Jesus would now be a son or daughter of God. We say that so often in the church that it doesn't even mean anything, but that is who we are. Children of God, dearly loved. That is our identity because of Jesus, because Jesus is Lord. And so God raises him from the dead to vindicate him and to show everyone that Jesus is Lord, that he is God and that he is king. That is the gospel. And the response is, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. <clears throat> Jesus ascends, sorry. <clears throat> I kind of ended it there, but it keeps going, right? He ascends. He returns to heaven as the general of heaven's armies, seated on a throne like a king. And what do kings do? They take land. Jesus is taking land on this earth. His kingdom, right, will increase. Of the, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Obviously, there is debate about how that's going to happen. If it's a progression until the whole world is filled with his kingdom, or if it goes down or kind of stays the way it is, and then Jesus comes back, and then it's all the way full. You can debate that if you want, and if you want to ask my opinion, I'll tell you at some point, okay? I think it's a progression. Okay. <laughs> Pentecost. God sends his spirit to indwell and empower the people of God to do what? To fight against the kingdom of darkness and bring heaven to earth. To let every person know what? What are we telling them? That Jesus is Lord. That's what we're telling them. There is a king, and he's good. There is one who rules, and he is powerful. There is one who is coming again, and his name is Jesus, and his weapon is love. And it cannot be stopped. Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. Isn't it beautiful? So why, as we're talking about proclaiming Jesus, why do we need to proclaim that? Why is sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching others the gospel so important? It's a pretty simple answer to that. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
People need to hear that Jesus is Lord. They need to hear that there is a God who loved us enough to become a man. A God who loves this world enough that he would become a man so that he could dispel the darkness in this world as a man who has authority in this world. I'm not saying that God doesn't have authority, but there's something there in that interplay with people. And he wants to share his righteousness with us. Right? To give us forgiveness, to make us righteous, and to make this world righteous. It is the power of God that brings salvation, healing, deliverance, all wrapped up in that word. To everyone who believes. And you know John 3.16, but you know the verses that follow? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Friends, people need to hear the gospel. They need Jesus. That, that phrase for eternal life, this may have been N.T. Wright, I'm trying to think back if that was in his book, but it's not just like everlasting life. It's like, it's like divine life, which is also everlasting. That God would share his divine nature with us. Peter says we, become partake, we have become partakers of the divine nature. John's language is that when we believe in Jesus, he is in us, and somehow mystically we are also in him. Right? That we have become one, as the mystics talk about, union with Christ. That is the eternal life that Jesus offers us, a life that can't help but just spill out into the world around us and make it look like heaven. Right? In the 1970s, there was a man who worked at a company uh, called Electric Boat. An Electric Boat makes submarines. They're based in, uh, I think it's Groton or Waterford, Connecticut. I'm sorry, Groton, yes, thank you. And uh, <clears throat> over lunch one day, a man shared with this guy, he just kind of said, hey, you know, have you ever, you ever read the Bible? Not really. Would you ever want to just kind of get together and read the Bible a little bit? And he kind of didn't know why he said yes, but he said yes, and they started reading through the Bible at lunchtime, just at EB. And eventually, uh, that man received Jesus. He believed in his heart, right? confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and became a follower of Jesus. And about a year later, his wife, his wife followed, and those people were my parents. And... Um, <clears throat> One of my dad's sisters was going through a, a difficult time with her husband, her then husband, and uh, was not a believer. My dad did not come from really a, a family of people that would say they were followers of Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> my dad started sharing the gospel with his sister, and she received Jesus. And my uncle found a Bible and somehow just started reading it and became a Christian on his own. I'm sure they were praying for him. And all throughout my family, my dad shared the gospel with my, one of his other sisters, and it was a seed in her heart, and later in her life, a little while later, she became a Christian as well, and now lives in Indonesia with her husband, sharing the gospel with people. And um, 
another one of, her, of my dad's siblings, also received Jesus. And then my grandfather received Jesus. And all the people that my dad has witnessed to for all these years, right, in his life, he, he he's, um, was in the hospital recently and, and led the guy in the bed next to him in the hospital to the Lord. Because someone at EB asked him if he'd ever read the Bible. My life is forever changed. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that he did that, that he took that time to do that. And now I know you. I just can't imagine life without you or an eternity without you, Lord. People need to hear the gospel. They need Jesus, and this world needs Jesus. So how do we share Jesus with people? Well, I hope that you get this one thing that in some ways simplifies it. The gospel is just about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. It's just that Jesus is Lord. That's really what it boils down to. If you start with that, you can extrapolate it in all kinds of directions. But that is the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, that there was a man named Jesus, and he was raised from the dead after he was crucified and hung on a tree. And God showed that he was Lord. All right, I won't tease out the whole thing again. I just get excited when I'm talking about that. Okay? So one is just sharing the gospel with people. And, you know, in, in, in this area, we've tried to come up with different methods. That, you know, there used to be the bridge diagram. I don't know if anyone's ever used that or all these different ways. Of the, you know, the four, what, what is it, the four, um, thank you, four spiritual laws. There's been, you know, the, Roman ro- the Romans road, all these different methods. It's all just ways to try to contextualize it to help people share the message about Jesus. But it doesn't have to be complicated because you just, just talk about Jesus and talk about what he did. Right? In, in recent history, you know, as three churches in this area, we've tried to use these three words of relationship, brokenness, restoration. That people had relationship with God, that there was harmony in the world. There was harmony between people and people and God. But that harmony of relationship was broken when people decided to go against God. But because God was a God of relationship, he reached out and sent Jesus into this world to restore that relationship. And through Jesus' death on the cross, taking sin and death and all the evil of the world onto himself and bearing in the grave, God raising him from the dead, God has made a new way for us to receive forgiveness and have a relationship with him that is now restored. What do you think about that? Right? So that's one thing, just kind of the what of the gospel. How do I share it? Focus on that Jesus is Lord. Right, focus on this relationship that was broken, that just the story of the Bible, but how Jesus brought us back into that and it is now advancing on his kingdom on this world. But another way to share that Jesus is Lord is to show it. And that is to pray for the sick. That is to pray for a breakthrough in someone's life. They share, man, I'm going through this hard time. You know, I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job or, you know, I just lost it. I need, I need a new job. You say, hey, you know what? Jesus cares about your job. Jesus, you know, whatever, you know, you say, well, let me pray and let's see what God does. Because what you are demonstrating in that is you are demonstrating the gospel. You are giving Jesus a chance to show up and say, I am Lord and I love you and I rule and reign and I want breakthrough in your life. You pray for the sick and they get healed, boom, you just gave God an opportunity. You showed them that Jesus is Lord. That's why Jesus was healing people. Well, yes, because his will is to heal, right? 
but also because he's showing them, I love you, I care about you. I want you to see, right, this is who I am. That is what we are called to do in proclaiming Jesus. We are called to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And we do that by speaking the gospel, right? Knowledge is important, and so is demonstrating that. That's why Paul says, I came not just preaching, but also showing you a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And guys, you never know when that power is going to show up. You never know when that power is going to show up. I'll tell you an unbelievable story. I've told this one before. When we did this large push as a movement of churches, um, in the Antioch movement, when all those refugees from North Africa were, were, were fleeing and moving into Europe, we sent teams in, I think it was 10 different cities or something like that, for the whole summer just trying to reach out to Muslims and share the gospel. And this one team with a young woman on it, who was not a pastor, probably a college student or just out of college, you know, probably didn't spend, you know, 10 hours a day in prayer, okay? She wasn't a, a nun, right? You know I mean? Nuns are awesome. I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to say, this is just an ordinary person. It's just an ordinary person that's trying to follow Jesus. They came across in the subway a woman lying dead. Blue, like, like dead. A woman that was on that team was like a nurse or something, began CPR, trying to resuscitate. And in this young girl, God put the thought, pray for her to be raised from the dead. And she laid hands on her and commanded her to get up in the name of Jesus, and the woman popped back up. Now, you can say that you don't believe that that happened, but Jesus did the same thing. So if you believe the Bible, I hope just to push you on that a little bit. Jesus is still Lord. He's still doing the stuff. And we can demonstrate that. And sometimes you pray for the sick, and guess what? Nothing happens. But we're giving God opportunities to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. And that is such an open door for the gospel. It's such an open door for it. So I'm not saying wait to share the gospel, but I'm saying do the gospel and do the stuff, right? Share it. That's how we declare that Jesus is Lord. So here's my challenge to you. And part of this is coming, actually, this is coming out of our outreach. Uh, we had a family meeting in the spring, and out of that came some focus groups. I was leading the one on outreach. And we talked last week about my dare to all of you to have a barbecue with your neighbors, Right? Or join Mark and Renee in this group at the YMCA. We will throw $50 at you to help offset the costs. The only rules are, if you want to do this barbecue, you got to pray before it starts, before anyone gets there. I don't care if you pray over the meal. I don't care. You can do that if you want. Ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. If you want to pray, you pray. Okay? They're, they're, if they find out you're a Christian, they're going to think you're weird anyways. You might as well do weird things. Okay? <laughs> and be a good friend. All right? Just pray before it starts. And try to do it with somebody else that lives in your neighborhood that's a follower of Jesus. Okay? And then just ask, hey, is this fun? You guys want to do it again? Who, who wants to host the next one? Right? Let them do the work of ministry. Okay? That's what we talked about last week. The other thing that came out of our focus group was this. The first Saturday of the month, I'm going to start leading uh, just Saturday morning outreach. 9.30 to 11.30, first Saturday of every month. We'll probably meet at Emmanuel this coming one in October. And we're going to hit the streets and share the gospel and pray for the sick. Now, if that totally intimidates you, I've got a couple easier ideas. Okay? We'll do, a, we'll do a coffee outreach. You can, go to, you can go to Starbucks or you can go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy the box of Joe and just say, hey, can we give you some coffee? Can we give you some coffee? You want some coffee? Great. Hey, is there any way we can pray for you? 
Nope, no thanks. Nope, all set. Yes, this is going on in my life. Okay? There's a couple other ideas I'll throw at you. We'll train you on that. We'll do a little training beforehand. Do a little worship to get you in the mind frame of Jesus is Lord, just honoring him, and then we'll go out, and then we'll come back and share, hey, what did God do today? Okay, we'll do some treasure hunting. If you don't know what that is, we'll teach you. It's simple. And you can just start walking on the streets and just asking every person you see if, if you can pray for them. That's another way to do it. Okay? <clears throat> so that's my challenge to you guys. First Saturday of every month. The second is, if Saturday morning doesn't work for you, I thought that would be a great time for families because kids can be a part of this too. Just You can walk to a park, whatever. But Mark Gray is also going to do this once a month at his prayer meeting. Instead of praying on Monday nights, 7.30, first uh, Monday of the month, thank you, you will be doing this at 7.30. It's between, sorry, okay. Okay, first Monday of the month, okay. Instead of prayer meeting at Mark's house, you'll meet at Mark's house, pray for a little bit, but then go out and do some of these same things, Okay. Part of the reason, this, it's hard to do this, okay? Let's just be honest. It's hard to just share the gospel with a stranger or ask to pray for them. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the more you do it, the more you believe in the gospel, actually. And the more you believe in the power that Jesus has because he's Lord. The more you believe that. And the more you do that and see it, the, the more you're going to believe it, the more you're going to want to do it. And it makes it a lot easier, I'll just tell you, it makes it a lot easier to do it in your normal life when you just kind of force yourself in some of these what feels like awkward and scary instances to do it, then when there's just one of your friends, you just go, oh, can I pray for you? It's just a natural response. Oh, hey, you know, like, Jesus loves you, right? Jesus loves you. He's, he's in this with you. Can I share a little about that? Oh, hey, uh, have you ever read the Bible? Would you like to read the Bible with me? You know? That's a great question because it's relational. You're inviting someone. Okay, I'm going to stop on that because we talked about that in our discipleship week. If you, want, if you have someone that you know, that you think might be interested in reading the Bible together, we can equip you to do that in a very powerful and very easy way where there's almost no prep on your part. It's just helping them discover Jesus on their own through the Bible. Think about it, people, your coworkers, who you're with. Maybe that story will be generational impact like it was for my dad and my family and my kids, right? Generations are changed because this guy just offered to read the Bible with my dad. It's amazing. All right, let's have the band come back up, and we're going to celebrate. Here's how we're responding today. I want you to think about some of these things I've, I've talked to you about. They'll be, they'll be in the emails and stuff, just reminding you of some of the dates of these things, of going out and hitting the streets on Mondays or Saturday mornings. Um, and we'll try to give you some reminders about doing a barbecue or maybe, you know, reading the Bible with somebody. But today, the way I want to respond is just declaring that Jesus is Lord together. Helping ourselves really believe that because the more we believe that, the more we're going to, it's just easy to give that away because we really believe it in our hearts. So we're going to sing this song that is just, it's, it's entitled Yes, Lord, and um, it was written by some Antioch people, and uh, we're just, we just want to stand together and worship Jesus to close today, right? Just to say, yes, Lord, you are Lord. I will follow. You are Lord of my life. You're Lord of this world. I'm saying yes to following you. I'm saying yes to doing awkward things like praying for people and sharing the gospel. Because Jesus is Lord and this world needs to hear it, don't they? They need it. They need Jesus. Oh, Lord, just the burden you've put on my heart recently, Lord, just of hell. Lord, there's so many thousands in this area that do not know Jesus and they need to know, oh, Lord, would you move in our midst? Would you move in our midst? Would you give us such a conviction that you are Lord and that people need you that we can't help but share your love? We can't help but share your power and your truth. Oh, Lord, do it in this church, Lord. We are available. We are just saying we are available, and Jesus, you are Lord. 
We are available, Jesus, and you are Lord. Let's stand and worship the King of heaven and earth. Let's worship him. He's the king. He's worthy of our praise. He is so worthy. Jesus, you're so worthy. You're so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy.